everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight for the week of August 30th, 2022. There are five Tuesdays this month. I Woo-hoo! think there are five <laughs> uh, Wednesdays as well. Um, so as, as typically comic publishers do when there's that extra week in the month, uh, they put out books that are running late or they'll do specials and annuals since most of the time books are on a four-week cycle. So it's no different this week. The uh, DC output is a ton of specials and anthologies and annuals. So even though there's fewer books, though, it kind of felt like there was more uh, because, you know, when you're talking about these anthologies, they're 80 pages. And a lot of times these anthologies come out and I, I don't realize that they're 80 pages because it's a good mixture of story and different style of art, different writers. And I kind of get lost in the different stories. And before I know it, you know, I've read five, six, seven, eight stories on it. And it's good. Unfortunately, this week, DC's output felt like home reading homework to me. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, it's, I'm not at the end yet. Um, yeah, I'm with so, you. Yeah. So it just, it wasn't a week that resonated with me. And I, I kind of struggled <laughs> to get through some of these books, to be honest. So, um, that being said, we'll kick it off with DC Saved by the Bell Rev. This is sort of a back-to-school special, if you will, with a bunch of different stories in it. Gotham Academy story by Becky Cloonan and Brent, uh, Brendan Fletcher. Carl Kruschel is the artist. Masaic does the colors. Steve Wan's on letters. So that that is the um, the creative team that did Gotham Academy back, Gotham Academy back in the day. Yeah. So I never read that, and I suppose if you're a fan of it, it's probably wel- a welcome uh, return. I know, Rocky, you were a big a big fan of it. Uh, there's a Suicide Squad story written by Tim Seeley. Scott Collins is the artist. Jim Kalis on colors. Wes Abbott on letters. So this was actually the team that gave us the King Shark, uh, and it did have a bit of a King Shark feel to it. Uh, Super Sons, again, fans of that may uh, recognize some of these. Not Patrick Gleason on uh, art or co-writing because he's moved over to Marvel, but Peter J. Tomasi is the writer, Max Rayner on art, Adriana Lucas on colors, Rob Lee on letters. There's a Green Arrow and Speedy story called Earn It Back by Dave uh, Wilgos as the writer, Mike Norton on art, Alan Pasolacqua on colors, Steve Wands on letters, which is I- interesting to me. Dave Wilgos is mostly known for being an editor at DC, but he has written a few things. Uh, there's a Tiny Titan story. Again, you know, the people that do Tiny Titans are here, Art <laughs> and Franco. Uh, so they write and uh, do the art. Black Lightning Story by Brandon Thomas. Craig Sermock is the artist. Hi-Fi on colors. Josh Reed on letters. There's an Azrael story. Again, the Azrael writers here. Dan Waters uh, writing the story. Juan Ferreira on art for that one. Josh Reed on letters. And then it finishes up with Nightwing and Batgirl, written by writer uh, Andrew Aiden, who I'm not familiar with. Nelson Daniel, also not familiar with, does the art. D. Cunniff on colors and Farron Delgado on letters. So, uh, like I mentioned, I'm not a Gotham Academy fan. So, you know, I knew who um, Mia or, or Maps was, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Maps from Mazajuski. Yeah. I always get her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her I name. Mean, I, yeah. And the only reason I knew who she was was because of the um, backup story we had for her at yeah. one point. Um, so, that. Again, that was kind of lost on me. The Suicide Squad story I thought was okay. Again, reminded me of the King Shark um, mini that we recently had. I did enjoy the Super Sun story. I thought it was very well written by Peter J. Tomasi. 
The Max Rainer art was really fantastic. The Green Arrow and Speedy, uh, I, there's no other way to put it. I thought it was kind of bad and boring. Um, it didn't. I thought the pacing was really bad. It didn't make like logical sense to me in terms of like the evolution of the characters or anything. So, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't want to badmouth anybody. I don't think anybody, uh, you know, was trying to make a bad comic, but it just did not work for me in any way. Tiny Titans was fun, but Tiny Titans is always fun, so nothing really to expect there. The Black Lightning story. Uh, I liked a lot of what Brandon Thomas was trying to say and the Craig Surmach art I thought was fantastic, but uh, it was a little on the boring side, if I'm being honest. The Azrael story was interesting. It was additive to Azrael's origin, so I did appreciate that, and the Juan Ferreira art was really great. Uh, the Nightwing and Batgirl story it felt a little strange to me. I didn't think that Dick Grayson was Nightwing while he was still in high school, uh, and seeing Nightwing and and Barbara Gordon as, you know, dating in high school. Again, something that didn't happen. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> that one just, it kind of didn't work for me either. So really a mixed bag with this book. Um, and yeah, overall, just kind of okay. I mean, there's none of these stories where I would say, oh, you got to read this, you got to read that, uh, other than... Uh, the Dan Waters story that kind of adds to Azrael's origin. I don't think any of this is um, notable. So yeah, it was just kind of okay, I I guess. And uh, nobody did a bad job technically putting any of these stories together. But you know, typically when you get these sort of um, these sort of anthologies, it's kind of like a tryout in terms of hey, let me show you what I can do, DC, and get some regular work. Um, but this is kind of a mix of, of creators who's already have done work for DC. Um, and then the few that are new, I didn't feel like they really did anything where it really made it stand out. I suppose they showed they can meet a deadline. So if, th if that's the case, you know, that's, that's great. But, uh, yeah, this isn't something that I would feel comfortable recommending that people go out and, Hey, spend your hard earned money on this. Um, cause again, there's nothing here that really impressed me. It was just, um, Okay, so what what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, this is called DC Saved by the Bell Reeve, and uh, and it it every story does have a slight educational theme to it in some small way. Gotham Academy, obviously, well, it's Gotham Academy. It has an educational theme. Uh, Becky Cloonan uh, and uh, Brendan Fletcher are you know they're, they're the writers on that. They always have been during the, those. They had it had two full series that was pretty good, but this is a really really boring story. I didn't like it, uh, but it, it's just plain boring. It's just it's literally just it's during the summer break while they're where Maps is going back to this. Uh, back to Gotham Academy to clear out the room and she's looking for her her friend Olive's uh, book and it, end, it just ends with Solomon Grundy dropping off a he's Solomon Grundy just appears at the end and drops off an olive tree while all the students have a conversation it was just plain boring I mean you hit it and like, like you said you, you, you're I agree with you 100% that, that structurally tone and blah 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 all these things are structured well they read fine but they are just they are just really, really boring. And for my God, for an 80 pager, 
we, we need something that just uh, that something has to stand out here. Now, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, two things stand out for me, uh, and the stories that stand out for me is I'm a huge Art Baltazar fan. I met him in New- uh, in 2019 at the New York Comic Con, and I got all got so many of his comics, and I love I got all the Tiny Titans comics, <laughs> and uh, I. I don't know if you, I don't know how much detail you read the Tiny Titans story here, Jace, because I know that you're not an Amanda Waller fan, but Amanda Waller makes an appearance in the Tiny Titans because the Tiny Titans end up, I thought it was just a, I thought it was just a lot of fun because you and I have had a lot of fun, sort of, especially me teasing you with your hatred of Amanda Waller and Amanda Waller ruins the fun of the Tiny Titans here because they, they don't realize that they're in a prison. Uh, They actually think they discover at the end of this story that they think that they're in Granny's Bell Pepper rave garden but they're actually in bell reeve prison uh where amanda waller is and of course they meet harley quinn and the peacemaker and <laughs> all the stupid jokes it's actually funny it's 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 as funny as ambush bug was in suicide squad and it's a lot of fun the art's fantastic because it is what it is and the irony is is that that is clearly something it's called tiny titans obviously it's it's meant to cater to a younger demographic but maybe it says more about my the little boy in me, but I just, I got the most pleasure out of reading that particular issue. The other one I like, you hit the nail on the head with, uh, 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 the, uh, Azrael that it does. Why this story for Azrael, which Dan Waters does a really good job. Dan Waters has been writing a lot of the Azrael stories, uh, in the last, last year or so. And, um, so I'm just jumping back and forth, trying to find, find it. But in any event, it does a good job here of telling the story of, um, uh, a new chapter uh, in the past of Azrael, a chapter that I wasn't aware of, where sort of an, a young, uh, a young Paul Van, Paul Valley has as uh, as he's being indoctrinated into the system that is part of his training for a Saint, at Saint Dumas. So I thought it was very well done, and the art by Dan Waters really was excellent. It was very well done. The the rest of the stories I, I think are are kind of forgettable. Uh, I don't. I got to say overall, if these are a new batch of writers and artists, it, it, re- it doesn't bode well, unfortunately for me, because I, su- I see very little sign that they're familiar with these characters at all. Uh, this is something that you got to force into continuity. Uh, I think artistically, I think this overall, the artists are not very good. Uh, I think it suffers artistically. Uh, this is something, this is something to me, this would be like a new talent showcase for the most part. Uh, and it's just, it, it just, it actually kind of worries me, quite frankly, because these are writers or artists that I, I, I frankly, you know, we're probably going to see them again. And I, that worries me because I, and I realize I might be panicking a little bit too much, but DC needs to get better out of the conundrums that they're in. Uh, and reading this, this just, I just sort of shake my head. This is, these stories don't serve anyone. I find the art to be actually like this is not good enough for DC for a mainstream title in most of this other than Dan Waters. And uh, there was the black, I think the black light. Well, one, one, one for does the art in that. Yeah. Dan I, writer. Yeah. But uh, in any event, I, uh, the problem with 80 pages is that I'm trying, I'm trying to go between pages here. Uh, the, uh, and they, and they always put the, the title at the end of the story. There's so many things that, so many pet peeves here on some of these, the way they uh, do this. Um, uh, but yeah, this is why, you know, where uh, Jefferson Pierce Black Lightning is the, this takes place in the continuity where Lex Luthor is president. Why? Like that's, I, I guess it's an out of continuity story, but 
why? And, and, and the message is, well, you know, I guess Jefferson Pierce will compromise all his principles and do what he has to to be the best education minister for the United States, even if the president is Lex Luthor. And I guess that's the message. Boring, boring, boring stuff. And now there's a message. The, 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 there's one story we should mention. We should give a shout out to the Super Sons. It's great to see the Super Sons and uh, the Super Sons, Peter J. Tomasi, the Super Sons basically befriend a non-binary uh, classmate who is being bullied and they, they inspire the non-binary, uh, their non-binary friend to stand up for themselves and uh, against bullies. And that, that, was a, that was a good story, a good message. And so there's that. And um, yeah, but overall, I think for the price point and everything else, the stories here that matter are probably going to be reproduced in the comic anyway. If this Azrael story, which I think is significant, as you indicated as well, uh, I think this is something that's going to be reprinted probably as a backup in in an Azrael comic book farther down the road, because who's going to be buying this? Nobody. Yeah, it's uh, it's an it's unfortunate. Um and yeah, I, again, it's just, I get that they're, and some of these, a lot of these names, you know, when I was reading out the credits will sound familiar. They're on properties that they've, they've worked on before. So it's about half that. And then it's about half new, you know, newer people. So yeah, again, especially that Nightwing story, it's all, it's a lot of new, newer people. So um, don't know if it, how well it works and it might just be, um, uh, first of all, DC don't do a back to school special again. You know, we're, but both Rocky and I felt like they were, it was boring. Well, you know, th- this idea of basing these stories on going back to school, school is boring compared to superhero stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, I, and I guess it, it can be interesting. And I, and again, maybe it's just that this stuff's not for us. When, when you talk about things like Deadly Class or Gotham Academy or Strange Academy over at Marvel or um, – any, any of those type of, of books, those are not, you know, the, the classroom setting with young characters. Those are not typically series that I pick up and read because I'm not interested in that. I went to school. I don't need to go back. You know what I mean? Like I spent way, way too many years in school. Rocky did as well, postgraduate degrees and whatnot. So it's, it's just not a subject that's interesting uh, it, it can work. Don't get me wrong. There, are, I think the exception that proves the rule is the one uh, story or series that was set in a school that I did love was Morning Glories. But even that was very well frustrating for a couple of reasons. First of all, it never got finished. Secondly, it was like an episode of Lost in that you'd read an issue and end up with more questions at the end than you had answers subsequently as it went on. Um, but it was the, the mysteries were interesting, but for the most part, I it's just these aren't books that I typically would read because I'm not interested in, in that setting. So I think that that's one of the things where it, this doesn't work for me. Um, we both have gone back to the Azrael story a couple times. Uh, you know, we're saying adding something new. I want to be clear: we're getting to see something new. It's not necessarily adding something new to the origin of of Azrael, in as much as when we first see John Paul Valley. When he shows up in, in the DC universe, it's talked how he was brainwashed and the system was indoctrinated into him and his father has died and he gets activated and becomes Azrael, uh, the avenging angel. We've never actually seen that programming, but we did know that he was programmed, yeah. right? And that's what we're seeing a little bit of here, uh, kind of the, the torture that the Order of St. Dumas put him through when he's a very, very young child. So yeah. it's not 100% 
you know, like, oh, this is out of the blue. Dan Waters is retconning something. No, this is not that. This is to him just showing something, just like Chip Zdarsky is showing in Batman the Night, where we're getting new, um, you know, glimpses of Bruce's travels around the world when he's training to be Batman. This is similar to that. This is in Dan Waters sort of unilaterally deciding to add something to uh, Azrael's origin. It's just getting to see it for the first time. And as Rocky and I both mentioned, the Juan Ferrer art's fantastic. So, uh, all right. Well, I think we've beat this uh, back to school special to death. Let's go ahead and move on. Next up, we have Harley Quinn, 2022 annual number one, Task Force XX Chapter 5, written by Stephanie Phillips. The art is by Simone Buonfantino and George Duarte. Colors are by Ramula Fajardo Jr. Letters by And World Design. And then there is a backup, because I suppose uh, Stephanie Phillips only needed, you know, the amount, maybe a little more, an issue and a half worth of story. Um, so there is a, a, a story of Harley going on vacation in Vegas set after the first story. It's also written by Stephanie Phillips. The art in that is by David Baldione. Colors by Antonio Fabella. Letters by And World Design. Um, so this is this does end the story of Task Force XX. They don't all die, which actually surprised me. Uh, you know, we've talked about how Harley Quinn supposedly is going to die for her 30th anniversary. And we talked about, hey, they're in space. What easier way for her to die? Um, we did see one of the members of the team, Bolt, did die. But they, they make it back to Earth. And, you know, this wasn't exactly a story where Stephanie Phillips was like, oh, how are... How are they going to stop this element X infused alien that uh, that Luke Fox inadvertently created? Um, you know, how are they going to figure out? We've kind of known for several issues that they were going to use Killer Frost in almost a parasite type role um, because she's found that she can absorb others' life force. Uh, we've seen that in uh, various stories recently with her. And so all she needed to do was get close enough to this alien. She was going to absorb its life force and it was going to kind of turn it back into a, uh, just an element and not have it be sentient, I guess. Um, so we've kind of known how it was all going to end, if you will. So it's been sort of telegraphed. The ride is still sort of fun. Um, and it's unpredictable and unexpected in as much as, at least I, I can't speak for Rocky Billy, but I had these expectations that Harley was going to die. She didn't. Um, seeing Harley in uh, a team atmosphere is fun, but at the same time, if I'm nitpicking, you know, uh, and I'm not the biggest Harley fan, as everybody knows, but I'm a big fan of Stephanie Phillips. So if I'm picking up this book, it has more to do with reading Stephanie Phillips than anything else. So it doesn't necessarily bother me that Harley doesn't get more of a spotlight than any other member of the team, you know? Um, and, and I am a fan of Luke Fox and he gets plenty of screen time too. So I did enjoy that, but I could see if somebody is a Harley fan that they don't feel like Harley really gets enough of the spotlight for this. So it ended up be just being kind of an okay story for me. I don't know that it will be one that's memorable. Um, the second story is much more kind of what we'd expect from Stephanie Phillips and from a Harley Quinn story when she's, in Vegas and hijinks ensue, as you can imagine. Um, some uh, agent from the government, kind of a shadowy, vague uh, 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 organization that he works for, shows up here, pulls a gun on her, is uh, trying to f f get her to turn something over. And she's like, I, I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just in Vegas to eat cheese and unwind. Um, 
And then all of a sudden we see apparently some remnants of that agent or, or that uh, alien uh, who has, has followed her. And we find out that the agency the guy works for is actually the FBI. So not as shadowy or undercover as we, as we might think. And her sidekick, Kevin, is there as well. So apparently, even though the first story uh, says that, yeah, they, they won the day and the alien's gone and uh, everything's fine, apparently maybe not so much because there is still some, I don't know if it's the same alien, different alien. Maybe this is the alien, but without the element X infused in it. Not really sure, but uh, when you add in Kevin and you add Harley and it's Vegas and you add in an alien, again, I only think hijinks can ensue and it's to be continued in Harley Quinn number 21. So that story to me felt much more like a Harley Quinn story. And uh, I love the David Baldion art. Uh, I haven't seen him do kind of a the stylized, more cartoony style before. Uh, but I think it really works, obviously, because it's it's Harley Quinn. So it should be kind of kind of out there. So I thought that worked really well. And the colors are very bright in the second story as well, which I get that the first story, you know, we talked about this previously, is set in space. So you're going to see some blues and some blacks and things that are a little darker. But I, I don't know. It didn't really work for me as well, the color work in the in the first um in the first story throughout, I, I've thought that it, it would work better with brighter colors. And I'm surprised at the choice that Ramulo Ferraro Jr. is making because he's a very talented color artist. I just think when it comes to Harley, if you want it to be, feel fun and um, kind of lighthearted that you should be using a brighter color palette. And I mean, it's very obvious when you've had these two stories that are colored very differently to contrast against each other in the same issue. So all in all, you know, um, kind of a, an expected conclusion to the Harley Quinn space storyline and a little preview of what's to come in uh, the next issue of Harley. So what do you think? I thought uh, I just overall I was I would uh, it's funny when you made the comment about about Harley Quinn in general uh, and about if you're you know, if you're been reading with Harley Quinn so far, I mean, you, you'll want to pick this up. I'm thinking that if you're a Suicide Squad fan, you want to pick up these issues of Harley because this is basically Suicide Squad. I mean, it's even called Task Force XX, the the, the main story proper, and this this is this is Suicide Squad with Luke Fox instead of uh, Amanda Waller. And um, I thought, you know, despite it has so much potential, uh, my one my one disappointment in it is that you know. It was. It had element X in it, remnants from the from death metal, and and the Justice League isn't around. We got this element X on the moon and everything else. It, it just seemed really. It just seemed boring. Boring to me, and I thought I thought that the, the main plot points were just boring. And um, I, that's just a shame. I, I just I, I wasn't really captivated by it. And it came out on a weekly basis, and it it feels to me like they they just re- really wanted to get this over and done with. Uh, as opposed to, I thought it was going to come out on a weekly basis because this was a big event. And, you know, it's funny, last week when we reviewed, a couple of weeks ago, I think you, you had asked me if I'd read ahead and, and you'd mentioned the death of Harley. And of course, and I had read ahead and I knew that Harley hadn't died. And I and it made me realize how disappointed I was because it, this would have been so much better had Harley actually died. Maybe, maybe something would have happened from it. Uh, but literally, I don't know if that was just somebody blatantly lied in the marketing because that was, is what was said for, that was the rumor. There's no, there was no semblance of everything. There was nothing close to a death for Harley in this entire series. And, uh, and it never felt like anything was at stake. And, and, and 
I guess I guess I know it's a comedy and everything else. I, I like the character moments between Luke Fox and, and Harley Quinn. I think that was kind of interesting. I like this new position for Luke Fox. I actually kind of like him having his own, maybe his own using his funding for something new. I think that's cool. But as as a story itself for Harley, I was I was a little disappointed uh, to be quite blunt. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed. The colors you you had, you said just pop off the page for happens you know what happens in Vegas that's perfect for a Harley Quinn story. I actually like that the alien remnant was still there and was ends up in Vegas and she ends up in Vegas. I actually enjoyed that, and so uh, kudos to Stephanie Phillips. She's one thing about Stephanie Phillips Harley Quinn run is that I've really liked elements of it and then certain elements I don't like. She's very good at she she give you very different versions of Har- Harley stories. Uh, at different times, and and I, and I felt this is a very much an about ship. She she does have the capacity to to sort of change gears uh, on a dime. She can write a good Poison Ivy Harley Quinn story, and then flip around, and then work with Riley Rosman or tell a story dealing with uh, Verdict, and then flip a new a Task Force XX uh, story like she did here, and and now she's in Vegas. So I mean, she's she's very good at wearing different hats as far as Harley's concerned, and and, and to good effect. I enjoyed this the second story more than the the last. But at the end of the day, it, it still didn't really grab me. And uh, honestly, in fairness to Stephanie Phillips, I'll just say that maybe I'm just not in the mood for Harley anymore. I'm just, uh, I want, I actually, I'm looking for something a little bit more serious. And I, and I want, you know, to me, uh, for DC right now, and this this isn't Harley Quinn's fault, and I'm break, I'm speaking through the fourth wall to Harley Quinn. No offense to Harley Quinn, but I, I kind of want writers to start, I, I want I want to be able to start taking their stories more seriously. And I got to, I got to be honest this week. It's, it's hard to take the story seriously when I feel that they're being written for children, hoping that adults read them. And, um, Maybe that's just me feeling a little bit down right now this week. But uh, anyways, uh, the the comic books, there's at least one good comic, two good comics this week that I'll be singing the praises of. We'll get to them. <laughs> yeah. And another part of the reason that you kind of hit it on the head, why, why I probably didn't enjoy this as much as I might have otherwise, is the fact that it did come out weekly, like you said. And man, I mean, not being a huge Harley fan and, and having this come out weekly for me was you know, again, it just felt like a bit of a chore to, to, to get, get through this. Like, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of a little bit uh, or a lot to ask for me to read, be reading Harley at all. And I, I read it because I'm a Stephanie Phillips fan, not because I'm a Harley fan. And to have it come out weekly, like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is a lot for me. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of did it to myself back in the day, you know, when I first started the comic source and I was doing the YouTube channel and I, I literally read every single uh, appearance of Harley Quinn in the DCU for like the first five, six years she was in the main DC universe. Yeah. And it was like, you know, like, like when you do an eating contest, like a watermelon or a root beer drinking contest <laughs> or whatever. And, and you just have so much of it. That you ne- literally never want to have it again. That was me for Harley. So um, yeah. Having this come out weekly is just, that's it's a lot of Harley, especially for me. So, yeah. uh, all right, well, let's move on. Up next, we have the Flash, two thousand twenty-two annual number one. This is from writer Jeremy Adams. The art is by Sir Jacuna. Colors by Matt Herms. Letters by AW's Justin Birch. Um, we've been big fans of Flash. We've been big fans of what Jeremy Adams is, has been doing. So, what do you think of this? Uh- this was a change of pace. I, I, 
I suspect I, I may have enjoyed this a little more than you have, just from certain comments that we had some discussions prior to the podcast here. And uh, I, I actually enjoyed the fun of this insofar as this, you know, that, that Linda, you know, Linda West, you know, Wally, this is a, this, this is, it's, it's love on the run. It's right on the cover. This is uh, Linda and Wally just, uh, this, this is their love story in many ways. And, and Linda has written a book. And this is related to the storylines of Flash that have just ended. Uh, Linda and Wally are having a conversation about her speed speed powers and Wally's joking with her how'd you get them did you did were you when were you hit by lightning and and all this stuff Jeremy Adams he's having fun with this and and this story what I love about this story is that there this is it does play with a lot of tropey crazy things it's kind of predictable in many ways but it's tropey but intentionally so because this is a story within a story because it's Linda basically given Wally her book that she just finished writing and she says it's kind of a corny book it's kind of a corny love story it's one of those corny harlequin romances and it really is and the bulk of this comic and the reason why I enjoyed it is uh, this is uh, it, it really displays the love that Wally has for his wife. And as and, the, and as he's reading this, reading this story, he realizes that, uh, you know, he enjoys it more and more. And it's 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 such a, I mean, there's a it's called best laid plan. So the story that the, the, the I guess the Harlequin superhero romance book that Linda wrote was is called Best Laid Plans by Linda Park West. And of course, you know, Wally, the the the, the Fabio like lover looks like it looks like Wally West with long hair and you know it's very she's she's being seduced and uh it's funny, uh I, I can't believe I'm confessing this, but when I was younger, when I first started reading comic books, I actually read a I read a lot of Harlequin, my mom's Harlequin romance as well. So my first novels were Harlequin romance. So I'd read, I'd go from Harlequin romance to reading Superboy and Legion of Superheroes. So it's kind of funny that I'm reading this now. And maybe that's why I have such a uh, shit eaten grin on my face reading this. But I actually like that there's some of the plot points here are, are so obviously ripoffs of uh, uh, The Rocketeer, Abracadabra, uh, Fabio, Star Trek, the movie Tremors, uh, uh, Brainiac. There's a Brainiac uh, character ripoff here. Uh, there's even a uh, an allusion to the to the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, I mean, there's if if you're really getting into the story as Linda Linda Park West is telling it in her book, it, it's you know, <laughs> it's 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 a fun read, and that's it. And I'm quite certain that's obviously I think how Jeremy Adams intended it, and. And but you you get into the mind of Linda Park West and you see how much she genuinely loves Wally because Wally West is the hero in her story. She's also a strong, independent woman in the story, but she loves her husband and she and it's obvious she loves her husband because her husband is the hero in her own story that she wrote. And I and that's what makes this comic book, I think, so it just reinforces to the reader just how much these two love each other and why we love Wally and Linda Park West. And that's why I enjoyed it. And it was, uh, and it was a lot of fun to read and a lot of good allusions to the, the plot. It was, there was, it had comedy. It had over the top moments. I, I thought the art was uh, really well by Serga uh, Akuna and uh, the colors uh, I think are really good. Uh, they pop off the page I enjoyed this uh, for what it was. This was this is what I think an annual should be. It it doesn't it's not connected to a larger narrative. This is just a fun 
it's actually a character driven uh, story that we learn something about Linda, how she feels for her husband and how, and how Wally feels for her. And it's done through a story within a story and it's very intelligently done, well paced, easy to follow. I think Jeremy Adams did a really good job. So what do you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I, I could see some people maybe complaining, Hey, this doesn't move the, you know, obviously this doesn't tie, tie into dark crisis. So it doesn't move forward that kind of the main plot that's been going on in uh, the flash comic but this is an annual like you said and uh, it kind of harkens back to kind of the old days of annuals where it was you know a story that wasn't necessarily connected to the the main story that was being told um and so i appreciate that and and the other thing that's interesting about it when uh, linda finally in in passing got a chance to tell wally hey i got superpowers i I nitpicked a little bit and I, I mentioned that I kind of wish that it had been even more of a character moment. I mean, it was still really cool um, because it was a, a scene where Linda went running past Wally and she kind of smacks him on the butt and he realizes that she has superpowers. But, you know, I mentioned that I, I wish that moment could have lasted longer, right? That, that character moment of uh, Wally finding out that his wife has powers uh, because just because I love the two of them together. Now I haven't read as much of the Wally West flash run as, as a lot of people have. Um, I sort of fell off right when uh, him and Linda were getting together and I never read any of the stuff with the kids pr prior to this run. Um, so I'm not as invested in, in Wally as a family man as some others might be. That being said, um, those character moments are that kind of feel uh, that conversation um, that I wanted Wally and Linda to have and, and felt w was a little bit missing in that issue that had that moment with the, the butt slap. It's all here, right? Um, obviously, Jeremy Adams didn't have space to put it in the, the regular issue that tied in with uh, with uh, Final Crisis or uh, Dark Crisis. So here he gets a chance to, you know, give us all character moments. You mentioned it being a character story. And it's it's great the way he does it, you know, with Wally reading Linda Park's book and seeing how much, you know, she cares about her husband and he's the hero of the story and all that, you know, you mentioned all that. I won't reiterate it, but yeah, it's such an interesting take to, cause it's almost like we're getting this character piece on Linda and this character piece on what the relationship of Wally and Linda is, but we're getting it not from the perspective of Jeremy Adams but we're getting it from the perspective of this is how Linda sees their relationship yeah. because she's written the book and here's how she kind of sees it and fictionalizes it. And it's just, it's so great. So, you know, it gives you all the feels of what their uh, relationship is. And then there's a little bit of room at the end for us to get actually the actual um, Wally West, as opposed to William East, you know, which is an obvious <laughs> <laughs> an obvious pastiche of Wally, but we get to see actual Wally West and actual Linda Park go on a date, running around the world, eating uh, gelato and whatnot and, and get those moments. So, um, and we do still get a little bit of uh, seeds planted for future stories to, to come in the flash. Once the dark crisis uh, crossover is done, because we see that um, the former, or actually I think he, he still is the warden of um of the prison there what uh, i can't remember it's not blackgate that's in um that's in gotham um yeah what, what, 
it's uh, Iron Heights. That's it. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. We find out that the warden of uh, Iron Heights is is running for mayor. Can't remember what his name is. Does it say in here? Uh, yeah. Uh, Gregory, um, Gregory Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah the Gregory warden. Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And we know he's not exactly on the up and up. So that's a little seed that's planted. Uh, and then we don't actually find out how Linda got her powers, even though there are some, there's some banter back and forth. You know, Wally's like, did you get struck by lightning? She's like, I think I would remember being struck by lightning. So that, that's still <laughs> to be explored uh, as well. I mean, you could go just with the obvious, be like, well, she's around all these other people that have access to the speed force and it just sort of bled off onto her. I mean, who, who knows? So yeah. uh, I'm sure there's a story to be be told there. But yeah, you're right. The art by Serge Kuna is done very, very well. Color work is great. So this is this is very much in the same tone and keeping of what Jeremy Adams has been doing on the Flash for. I have uh, to a say, lot. just a quick shout out. I love that Linda's wearing a suit. She looks awesome in that Superman shirt. It looks really yeah. good. It looks really good on her. Just that blue. It really pops off the page, and I, it, every it, it really looks amazing. She looks sexy as hell in that. You know, I got to get one for my wife. all right up next we have wonder girl 2022 annual number one this is from writer joel jones sorry let me just find the credits here uh i guess they put them all the way at the end as they do sometimes um let's see Yep. Okay. So written by Joel Jones, uh, Douglas Marquez is a co-writer for pages 14 through 18, uh, which I find to be interesting. Uh, Emmy Lettix is the artist for pages one through five. Adriana Mello does the pencils and inks for pages six through seven, 12, 19 through 20, 20 through 23, 25, 28 through 30, 32 and 33, 35 to 36. And then we have Sweeney Boo as the <laughs> artist for Eight through 11, 13, 21, 24, 26 oh. through 27, 31, 34, 37 through 40. Ben Dewey does the art for pages 14 through 18. And uh, Jordi Belair colors most of the pages. I'm just going to <laughs> leave it at that. Sweeney Boo does Ooh. her own colors, as does Ben Dewey. Uh, and then Pat Brosso does the letters, as is typically the, um, the case with uh, – Wonder Woman type stuff. He's usually the letter on that letter on that. So based on those credits, you probably know what I'm going to say. This is a wildly inconsistent story, both in, in art style and in pacing and in feel. And I came away with it feeling like DC has sort of squandered the potential that Yara floor has had. I wasn't really as big of a fan as you and dark Knight nation, Trevor, uh, were when she we first read her in uh, in Future State, but I sort of felt like once the regular series started, I could sort of see the potential that she has, and uh, both covers or two the at least cover A and cover B, not as much cover C because I think cover C's it, that's not the point of it. The point of cover C is the big monster with the. Um, mouth in the middle of its torso. But I I sort of feel like the point of cover A and cover B are for her to look like this attractive, sexy Amazonian that you want to read about. And that certainly is the case in those two covers. Those those are their beautiful covers. Um, But I, and we've talked about this at length with Yara Flora. A lot of it may be owing to, first of all, lateness with her main series. And second of all, 
kind of going hand in hand with that, the inconsistency of the story. There, there were plot holes left and right, and it was hard to follow at times. And it just, it felt like a, a wasted opportunity. And if anything, this, this annual is just more of the same. Like I don't, I don't understand, like you're going to do this annual and it, it is a lengthy annual, you know, 40, you get 40 pages and it honestly was a bit of a chore to read and it felt like more pages to be honest. Um, but there's no, there's no set time, right? There's no set date that this needs to come out. It's not like, you know, I'm talking about the lateness of the, the regular issues and how it's on a monthly schedule and needs to come out on time. Like this is an annual, you have a whole year to do this. So pick one artist and pick your writer and, and go and, and get it all done and then release it when it's ready. And if it wasn't ready to come out in, in 2022, then maybe you have it come out in 2023. I don't, I don't understand this idea of let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks because I, I, I man, man, if I'm Yara Floor, and I, granted, I'm not Yara Floor. Yara Floor is a fictional person, but, Yara Floor's got to feel cursed. Like, why won't DC give somebody else a chance on her? And, and, and this is nothing against Joelle Jones because Joelle Jones is immensely talented. She's a great artist. Lady Killers is amazing. Uh, you know, her creator-owned property is over at Dark Horse right now currently. But she hasn't shown the ability to, to get this out in a timely fashion and do justice to Yara Floor. So maybe give somebody else a crack at her. Um, because again, this just felt really like even within this story, uh, which starts off out with us getting the origin of Jerry, her flying horse, which I kind of enjoyed that part before Yara Floor showed up. <laughs> and that was kind of my favorite part of the story. So what does that say? Uh, but when Yara Floor does show up, um, and then has the interactions with her, uh, fellow members of the Esquita tribe, even, even within that, even within this one story, I felt like the characterization for Yara Floor was was inconsistent, and that's just unfortunately like when I think about Yara Floor right now, that's the overriding thing, right? Like I think about Superman in the DC universe, I think oh, the inspiration, the one everybody looks up to, um, you know, the most powerful character. When I think about Batman, you know, I think about this, you know, dark avenging knight, most popular DC character. He's everywhere. He's the smartest. He has a plan for everything. Uh, when I think about Yara Floor, I think I, well, she's this crazy female who's, you know, wildly inconsistent in her mood and uh, behavior, right? And there's already that, that trope, that, um, that stereotype that people, ah, women are crazy, their mood swings, blah, blah, blah. And it's not accurate. They're no more moody than men are. Um, well, some of the women in this story are definitely moody. But that's my that's my point. That's my point. Like the way the way DC is treating Yara Floor, when I think about Yara Floor, I think, oh, she's this wildly inconsistent and illogical creature, person, a being, right? Because that's I don't have anything else to go on. It's not DC has, has squandered the potential of Yara Floor, um, and they're not doing justice to the character because, yeah, like she Yara Floor, the way she comes across is not somebody I, like if she were real, I would not want to go near this person because I don't know what the heck she's going to do from one second to the next. Like she's crazy the way Harley's crazy, it, yeah. it, you know, not the exact same zany way, but just in a, in a way that you, she's completely unpredictable. Is, is that what you, 
maybe that's what they're going for, but it doesn't, I don't think so. Um, but unfortunately, especially because she's Latina, um, I, I think that's a, that's a problem, right? That's a, that's a, that's a problem because that stereotype exists for Latin women, even more so than for women in general, at least in my experience. So I, again, I, I don't want to, you know, badmouth anybody. I know they're all trying their best, but man, like, could it put out a Yara Floor book? I, you know, if it needs to be four issues, six issues, whatever. And if Joel Jones wants to do it, great. But don't rush her because I think that's the issue. She's being rushed. You're, you get five, six, seven different artists. I don't even know how many I read off there. Um, and it's it's inconsistent in art and inconsistent in story. Give us four very tight. And if you need to reduce the scope of the story and just focus on Yara Floor and not the Esquita tribe and not try to do too much, but give me a tight four issue series with Yara Floor focused on her as a character. Show me who she is. And if it takes two years before it's ready to come out, then it takes two years before it's ready to come out. I don't know what else to say to DC. You know, I, I get the, the um, you know, the financial implications of that and everything, but I don't know. They they have completely squandered the potential of this character in my mind. So I hate to be so negative, but I I got to be fair. This is the way that I'm I'm seeing it uh, and I'm reading it. And this was a real slog to read. What do you think? Uh, I agree with your prem. I agree with your central point. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of how uh, how I used to feel about Damian Wayne. And all it took was one good series of stories by Joshua Williamson. And I went back to liking Damian Wayne after his Robin run. Cause I thought that Damian became too much of a, of a narcissist. He became too much. He became very unlikable. And yet all it takes is one good writer to come along and, and just do it right. And I think with Wonder Girl here from the beginning, uh, Quite frankly, I think her origin just wasn't is not particularly good. It wasn't developed enough. It wasn't organic enough. There's still so much about her we don't know, and they're just jumping ahead as if we know this character. And I think there's a lot about Yara Floor that we just don't know. And what we know about her so far is just unfortunately, it's kind of I'm inclined to be. I don't. I won't say I dislike her, but. She's kind of annoying a little bit. She hasn't really earned her place. She hasn't, and and she's the stories have not done her justice. And that's not Yara Flora's fault. I'm a, I do blame straight up blame editorial and the writing. I mean, for that first seven issues before Wonder Girl was canceled, I mean, Cassie Sandsmark was the hero. A Wonder Girl was the hero, but it wasn't Yara Flora. That was extremely disappointing. I love uh, you know Joelle Jones' art's been okay, but it's uh, when it's when it's mixed with Sweeney Boo. I'm sorry, but this is a very bad combination of artists. This, this, it doesn't go well. I like Suni Boo and her, her uh, IDW Captain Marvel. Um, and I, I met Sweeney Boo in New York in comic, uh, in New York, New York Comic Con 2019. Wonderful woman, uh, very talented, but just her artistic style with Joelle Jones, it just doesn't work here. Uh, and, and this storyline I mean, I suppose it has potential, but it's just weird. As you said, we end up with an origin for Jerry, the the Jer Jerry, the the Pegasus horse, and even that origin seems so odd. I mean, Jerry, the Pegasus horse, thousands of years ago, lived with a bunch of other Pegasuses, and one young Pegasus horse followed Jerry around, and Jerry flew too high, and the young Pegasus horse got hurt, and for some stupid reason, the other horses banished Pegasus out and he's been his lone horse until he met Yara Floor and apparently Yara Floor is a loner just like him. That origin didn't make sense to me. That doesn't even 
I never, I never thought of Yara Flora as a loner. She lived in America. She had family. She had friends. And then she goes to Brazil. I never thought of Yara Flora as a, uh, a loner. Am I, am I supposed to think that? Did I, did I not read something? Just, I got little things like that. This don't really add up to me. Uh, the story here itself, I don't mind. The story itself is kind of funny. Uh, uh, Yara Flor, I mean, how many, I mean, I always joked about Zhao, her boyfriend, the bus driver, Zhao from Brazil. Yeah, see, you know, he's, he's he shows up. That's what I was talking about with her inconsistency. Like, that was such a bad plot thread in the first, you know, with her just throwing herself at this guy she barely knew. Yeah. And then here she is standing on, like, the top of this, like, concert venue, waiting yeah. for him to show up, like, pining for him. Like, I, she's I like know. a lovesick schoolgirl. Like, what is – don't remind us. It didn't work the first time. It was terrible. You got rid of it. Don't bring it back, for God's sake. Ugh. Well, I, and I, then, I cringed. I cringed when yeah. – I kind of knew when she was standing there saying, oh, there he is. I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be Jow. And then sure enough, I cringed. I literally yeah. was like, oh, my God. Well – uh, now, having said that, the cringe factor is one thing because I, I mean, her relationship with Zhao was just terribly mishandled to begin with. I wasn't sure if he was a serious love interest or not because I thought she was more interested in Eros, uh, even, and I wasn't, it wasn't even clear to me that Eros was manipulating her at any one point that, uh, but I guess, I guess he was. Uh, but in any event, she's trying to win Zhao back, but Zhao's got a new girlfriend and that's, and that's one of the central plot points. And what, what, what is, it's this God called, I don't even know how to say this word. Uh, another complaint, the, the, the stupid names on this, on this mythology, I'm sorry, but man, reel in these names and get them like the Kuka, the Kaka, the, this goddess I, is, is this yeah, bad goddess. Yeah. I'm assuming it's Brazilian folklore, which I know, you know, nothing about, Oh uh, man, I just the, also the Spanish here. The Spanish language is uh, th- there are some scenes where uh, in that when it when it's Sweeney Boo's uh, artistically rendered panels, there'll be Escazita members meditating and mumbling in Spanish. I don't know what they're saying or what's on the page, uh, and there's no translations, and I don't know if they're saying anything important. Uh, it's just, it's just really odd. And then, and then they'll have a translation out of the blue where they don't even need one. Uh, and it's just really odd. And, and, and they show the origin of this God. We spend more time learning about this Kaka God or Cuckoo God or Kaka. And she's, and she, she used to be a, uh, she used to be a, I guess a warrior and she got jealous at one of her friends, uh, and they, they fought over a man. And uh, she lost, and 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 the this they had a contest to see who could use their arrow, bow and arrow, to to you know get through a to actually to actually hit a butterfly wing. And this one woman, this uh, Jura, this Andira, Andira is greedy, and Jurassi is kind, and and Andira and Andira and Jurassi are fighting over the love of a guy named Avir. And Andira loses and she gets really upset and makes a deal with the devil. And the, the deal, the devil's name is Anhang, Anhenga, Anhenga. He's the spirit of the underworld. And in retaliation, she kills Jurassic's newborn child. And she's cursed by this under, underworld god to uh, look beautiful to men, but look very plain Jane to women. But only children can see her for the monster that she is. And so this is the girl. This is the uh, – so fortunately, 
Yara Flor at this festival where she's confronting Zhao. She's trying to get Zhao. She's trying to win her boyfriend back, Zhao, at this at this uh, at this uh, folk folklorico folklorico festival, and she confronts him. But this Kaka god is disguised as his girlfriend, and and apparently this god appeared in issue three of Wonder Girl. I don't even remember that. Do you? I don't remember. This. I, yeah, I, I I remember only because of the. <laughs> The way she, that Kuka looks. Oh, man. Um, I, crocodile, I vaguely recall that, yeah. But uh, in, in any event, I, uh, and in the meantime, this Kaka goddess is also – god is also controlling a monster that at the same time is attacking the Escazita tribe in their underground lost tribe of in, in, in the Amazon – and just as they defeat Kuka, the the this this m- monster that this monster and Sweeney Boo, with all due respect to Sweeney Boo, she's got to do a better job designing her monsters. It, it looks like a rejected Muppet, uh, or something you'd see on fighting the Cookie Monster on Sesame Street. It looks re- it just looks silly. It just looks really really silly. And it looks so when that that's the monster that's on the third cover that I mentioned, cover C, and it looks you know sufficiently formidable and scary there uh, but on the yeah. cover, but not, not yeah. in the comic itself. No, it, it does. Yeah. It does look like, and it, you're right. It looks <laughs> like something from Sesame street. You're, it I, I mean, sorry, it just does. looks silly. And, and the, yeah. that, that the divergent artistic styles in here, I mean, it's funny uh, to me. I make a joke out of it because I, I call Zhao the stage five clinger. He, no matter where, you know, <laughs> he's always following her around, you know, and yet I always thought he was the clinger. Now, all of a sudden, she's trying to find him. Yeah. I'm thinking, you're a wonder girl. You could, pr- and, you know, you could probably get a piece anywhere in the world. And you're going back to Zhao, the bus driver. And, and, I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, this is, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know I, I'm just hoping, I, to me, this, is, this feels like they've taken pieces and bits and pieces of different plot points and they've thrown this all together. And, and, uh, I think that I think I think when I think of Yara Flora, I think of her as a work of art, but the, some of the pieces are missing. And uh, I think the true potential of this character has yet to be written. Uh, this wasn't it, but uh, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the future holds for Yara Flora. Yeah, I don't. I can't say that I disagree. I disagree with you. Um, yeah, the best is yet to come for Yara Flora. Somebody will get her right uh, <laughs> at some point. So. Uh, all right, let's move on. I didn't read the next one. Um, and again, this goes back to just, I know it's the 30th anniversary of Harley Quinn, but I'm not a Harley Quinn guy. And I've been reading Harley Quinn every week for over a month now. And I just didn't have it in me to read 80 pages of Harley Quinn that are based on the Harley Quinn animated series. But it is a uh, an anthology. And if you're a fan of that series, I guess you might want to pick this up. Uh, we have... The first story called uh, Tawny Talks, written by T. Franklin. Max Seren is the artist. Marisa Louise on colors. Taylor Esposito on letters. Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Vixen in Double Date, also written by T. Franklin. This time art is by O'Neill Jones. Jordi Belair does colors. Taylor Esposito on letters. Then Identity Crisis, written by Alexis Quasinaro. Erica Henderson does the art. Taylor Esposito on letters. Showtime, written by Connor Shin. Logan Farber is the artist, Taylor Esposito on letters. <clears throat> Dr. Psycho and Wild Ride, written by Jimmy Mosqueda. PJ Holden does the art, D. Kenneth on colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. And then Mayor Joker in Two Jokers, written by Jameson Boric, 
John McKell does the art, Nick Filardi on colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. So this one's all you, uh, Rocky. I know you've watched that animated series. What do you think of this? Well, honestly, uh, as I uh, just to repeat some comments uh, that I said to you prior to the the broadcast here, I I find that the I enjoy the the animated series, and for some reason, I just can't get into the the comic book. And this is rare for me because I normally, I mean, I I, I read Justice League animated. I when I you know I love uh, uh, when I watch a cartoon, I'll I'll read the comic book of the cartoon. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of comic book adaptations of animated shows that I like. This one is is a little bit different. I I um it just it, it's not my cup of tea. It it did feel long and drawn out to me. Uh, it, but it is well paced and everything else. Um, none of the, I will say that if, uh, if you're not, if you are watching the series, this does actually add to it. It adds certain elements to it. It gives you some backstories that you wouldn't get from watching the show. And, and T Franklin is someone who is, uh, you know, I know I've read some interviews with her. She has, she's certainly familiar enough with the the series herself. And she's, uh, uh, I I know some people aren't really big fans of her writing, but uh, let's be very clear on this. A lot of the complaints about Harley Quinn, the the comic per se, I I think are a little bit unfair. This is obviously LGBTQ and it's, 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 it's kind of darker humor, right? And I love that humor in the cartoon. I think it's hilarious. And, 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 uh, how that translates in the comic book, I guess Miles will vary on this. I personally, uh, I'm, I, I definitely buy this as the comic book because I'm a speculator and I think this is going to, you know, I think to me, this is a must buy for me as a speculator. <laughs> so that's just me with uh, my many years of collecting. I, 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 this is definitely something I can't believe this is 80 pages. Like I can't believe it's that that they're, they're they crammed this. Cause this, you'd think they would have another three or four issues. Like it makes me wonder did the first six issues. Cause this, this, they had a six issue series already. Uh, did it not sell well? How come they're cramming this into 80 pages? They could have, you know, I'm almost surprised they didn't break this up in a series of, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a second volume. But, uh, but you know, I, it's got humor. It's got all the characters that you'd want, plus a few kind of some some Easter eggs. And uh, I'm just a you know some of the art. I will say, and I, I mentioned this as a as a as an. I'm going to say this is an unfair complaint, but I'm not familiar with a lot of these writers and artists. But I'm probably so I'm I'm probably I probably shouldn't be because they are probably more for the animated artists, the animated writers that they're in the animation department of the Harley Quinn series proper. So I I, I should expect them to be part of this comic book, um, but it's just my I guess it's just my bias because I'm so used to a particular style and and that's on me because every now and then I I have to be forced out of my comfort zone. Straight up, I do. I have to be forced. And the good thing about me reviewing comics with you is that I'm often forced out of my comfort zone because I read comics that I would not normally be inclined to read. And so I'm glad I read this. It's The stories aren't aren't bad, but uh, no buts. Uh, are, they, are they my cup of tea? I would say no. This is something I would just rather watch on TV. But if you're a Harley fan, to me, this is a must buy. And again, I'm buying this for speculation purposes regardless. And there's definitely some a little bit in this for for everybody. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is you expect some of these characters here or storylines to be used in the TV show at some point. 
Well, or possibly, and first appearances and what have you. So that's the speculator yeah. side of me, right? I mean, yeah. you never yeah. know how some of the plot points here might might gain fruition in the in the main main animated series proper. I don't know, but to me, it's an easy. You know, I've I've pissed away money in worse ways, and 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 actually, I don't don't get me wrong, I, I don't mind this, and because this is actually on, it, it's a popular TV show. It's a much more popular TV show, that I suspect, than it is a comic book. At least if I'm if I'm going by sales of the initial volume of this Harley Quinn animated series, so uh, I think it's worth. I'd I'd really be curious. Not enough people reviewed the first series. Like it, it was not. If, if a lot of people read it, I don't know if a lot of people reviewed it other than the first issue of the of that initial Harley Quinn animated series set uh, volume, but because uh, I'd really because we never really reviewed it ourselves, but um, you know, yeah, I mean, I saw I saw a few people talking about it, and it definitely seemed to be a case where you know people that were fans of Harley enjoyed it, yeah. as you would sort of ex, you know you would expect that to be the case, but yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not. Again, it's a Harley a Harley Quinn cartoon is not something I'm going to go out of the way to, to watch. But um, yeah, from my understanding, it definitely captured the irreverent feel of Jimmy and Amanda's you know first series and, and got to take it farther. You know, they got to hint at stuff. This show like actually says it. So if I watch it, I probably enjoy it more than I and you know enjoy that version of Harley more than I do the the regular version. So uh, anyway, let's move on. Next up, we have uh, Sandman Universe. Nightmare Country, wondering if this will sell more based on the fact that the Sandman show came out on Netflix and is doing really, really well. Uh, anyway, written by James Tynan, Lissandro Esterin is the artist, Patricio Del Peach does the colors, Simon Bolin on letters, and then we have the, the middle pages that focus on the Corinthian even more. Um, still written by Tynan, but Aaron Campbell's the guest artist, Jody Belair on colors. What do you think of this? You know, I really enjoyed this. This almost felt like a standalone comic to me, which was really surprising because it's issue five and this ends this story arc. And it, and surprisingly enough, it absolutely benefits readers if you've read the first four issues. But what I found so wonderfully serendipitous, and I actually said that word without mispronouncing it, serendipitous. I did it That's two times in a row. I said it right. But I finished watching the Sandman show on Netflix. And that is that Sandman show. It it it's fairly uh, so close to the source material of the first uh, seven or eight issues of the Sandman of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And the story of the Corinthian is very interesting. And the origin of the Corinthian is recited here in issue five. And the origin and the initial uh, how he talks about his first initial fates, how every serial serial killer essentially pays homage to the Corinthian, and it it's it it gives the this flashbacks of the Corinthian's origin and his first initial fate by the Sandman being disappointed to him because the Corinthian is an aspect of nightmare. Co Corinthian is sort of like uh, he uh, he was created by Morpheus, the Sandman, to sort of monitor nightmares and be like the source of nightmares and that's his role but the corinthian became corrupted and he became a source of inspiration for serial killers and nightmares and that he betrayed his function i'm oversimplifying it but that's basically it and and the corinthian in this particular series in nightmare country he is he he he's, he he has discovered an echo of himself that he was initially taken off away from the earthly plane by the Sandman. 
but there's an echo of himself he discovers on Earth that's causing all these other na- nightmares. And this girl, Madison Flynn, is capable of seeing these echoes of his nightmares that are playing out. And and meanwhile, we have the Mr. Agony and Mr. Ecstasy, who are basically aspects of desire. And desire is always is a is a member of the analyst that's always trying to create some machinations against Morpheus, the Sandman, who is dream. And uh, I love how it all comes together here in such a, in, in such a compelling way, because the Corinthian ultimately uh, ends up having, uh, uh, he, Madison Flynn ends up getting killed uh, because of one of the, uh, because of one of the, this William Teague, who's in league with an unknown force, who's looking to reshape the world of dreams. And Corinthian actually asks, calls upon Morpheus, calls upon the, the Lord of Shapes, another word for Morpheus, the Sandman, to, to revive Madison Flynn. And, and, and Sandman agrees to do so. It's, and it, it's hard to do this justice. It's hard to give a synopsis of this just sitting here if, if without you know talking for a long time summarizing the previous four issues but it's it does a really good job here of showing how special this human is this Madison Flynn because she can see the echoes of all these nightmares that the Corinthian the Corinthian asks Sandman saying look please let me stay on earth longer I want to find these echoes of me that are causing all this corruption and are uh, and are causing this let 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 me do this Please let me do this and let me take Madison with me. But the problem, the Sandman says to Corinthian, look, you're a killer. I, last time I did this, you killed all these people. I mean, you were literally a nightmare. You were supposed to monitor nightmares, but you inspired serial killers and you're a problem. And so how Sandman overcomes it here is that he ties the will of the Corinthian to Madison. So the Corinthian in future issues as this goes forward is not going to be able to kill unless Madison consents to it. And since Madison has died, she's going to come back in a different form that's going to be created by the Sandman. So it's going to be really interesting, this new relationship dynamic, because Corinthians' will will be governed now by this human named Madison Flynn, who's going to come back in a different form in future issues. So um, I'm really fascinated by this. The agony and the ecstasy are now being punished by their uh, patron, uh, this who is Desire, who, if you're watching the series on Netflix, is is sort of like the one who's trying to orchestrate Morpheus's downfall. There's also another force that's at play that wants to orchestrate the magistrates and the endless's downfall as well. So there's a lot in these first five issues. We've been getting a lot of stuff here. So if you're if you're fans of Sandman, you're gonna love this. And just kudos to uh, writer James Tinian, man. He nailed it. He did a really good job here. And Lysandra Ether Etherone, you're gonna. Pr- Ether- yeah, Lissandro Etherin, I think is Etherin, yeah, great, great art. And I, I enjoy, the, you know, the coloring is pretty good here. Um, yeah, I'm overall, I'm, I'm quite, Im- I'm impressed. It felt like I was, I could easily imagine this being another episode of The Sandman on Netflix. And I only read the first omnibus of Sandman. So I've only read the first 24 issues of Sandman. So I don't know the whole mythology, but I didn't need to. I just... Thanks to the Netflix show and these first five issues <laughs> and what, reading the first 24 issues of Sandman, I'm, I'm really, I really enjoyed this. What about you? Well, here's the thing, here's the thing about, about this series that I'm not clear on. Um, yeah. First of all, um, what's her name? The main character when she gets Madison killed. Madison Flynn. Uh, Ma- Madison, yeah. Um, she – that kind of came out of nowhere for me. Like, I was like, wait, what? 
Um, but obviously, de- you know, death doesn't really mean, you know, in this story, what it would mean for for most of us. And she can she can come back. But here's the thing: this is a black label book, so is, it does that mean it's outside of? Con- I mean, uh, certainly when Neil Gaiman wrote Sandman, he wasn't worried about, hey, how's this going to tie into the superhero universe of DC? And eventually we did have death. Uh, Morpheus show up in a couple of issues. I think Captain uh, Captain Adam and I, uh, Superman issue, if I'm not mistaken, Action Comics. Um, so I'm not sure. Like Black Label, it's supposed to be the writers are don't, are, don't have to worry about continuity. They don't have to worry about the constraints of that and also for mature readers. But there's not – and again, I haven't read Sandman, so please, if somebody out there knows better – um, but nothing I know of in this series would contradict anything. Like, there's no reason this needs to be outside of the Sandman continuity. You know, I, I, I don't think it is. As, what make, what yeah. makes you think it is? I'm just curious. because it's black label. Oh, this okay, is a black right. label book. Yeah, you know, and they say black label's not in continuity. So I'm not I'm not clear on that. But, but it's, in, it's in the Sandman continuity, though, probably. But it. I, Okay, then why is it black label? Why is it black label? I oh, mean, the other Sandman, the other Sandman universe books that came out, not you know the ones that came out. Um, I think it was 2017. Yeah. I think it was the year that they came out. Um, they weren't black label. That was the same year that DC announced black label. I was there at WonderCon when they announced it, and they had all the uh, different writers. Neil Gaiman himself wasn't there, but they had a video message from him. And then they had all the writers that were writing the Sandman Universe books. There was four of them. Um, and they were all there to talk about their, their various projects and their various books and how they tied into the Sandman Universe. None of them were black label. So why is this black label other than it's outside Sandman continuity? But it doesn't appear to need to be. So, I, yeah, yeah, I guess, I mean, maybe I'm nitpicking and I'm – worried about something that I don't need to be worried about, whatever. And I haven't read Sandman anyway, so what difference does it make to me? But I'm just curious about it because you mentioned how the TV show, you know, with focusing on the Corinthian, yeah. you know, you can get so much more out of it, out of this series if you're watching the show or vice versa. So I, I just find that to be to be curious. So um, what I will say is, yeah, I've never been that interested in the Sandman corner of the DC universe, obviously, especially having never read Sandman. Um, which people always freak out when I tell them that that one in saga, when I tell people I, ha- I don't read saga, they freak out as well. Um, but anyway, uh, all that being said, it shows what a great writer James Tynan is that, uh, that I am interested in this story. So, uh, unexpected twists and turns in this one. And I, I mean, I don't, let me look it up real fast. I don't know that this is a limited series, but I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, cause yeah, you, you mentioned, um, I assumed uh, it was. You Madison, ma- mentioned Madison coming back in a different form. Well, for you know, for how long? Like, yeah, how, I don't how, know. how long is this? How long does this go? You know, yeah, how, how, yeah. It's good. I, I have no yeah. idea. Sandman just mentions that he's going to bring her back in a different form. Yeah, because well, he. he I, I will say this: it doesn't. It, it doesn't say. Uh, Sandman universe nightmare country number five of eight or whatever. There's no. Yeah, I there's know. no number. Um, as opposed to something like Dark Crisis that says a one of seven or three of seven or what have you. So maybe it's an ongoing. So, yeah. I hope it is. I- I'm enjoying it. All right. Well, let's move on to the last book we're going to talk about in detail, one that a lot of people have been waiting for with uh, some really cool covers. Uh, 
got to say, as much as I haven't been a fan of the um, bare-chested gladiatorial Superman, there's some pretty cool covers here. Superman, War World Apocalypse. There's uh, a host of creators on here. So we've got writer Philip Kennedy Johnson and art from a ton of people. Brandon Peterson, Will Conrad, Max Rayner, Miguel Mondoca, colors by Lee Luffridge, letters by Dave Sharp. Um, and I will say... Normally, I'm not a big fan of having multiple artists on a book. Obviously, this is a you know, big story, 48 pages. <laughs> and I, I think they did a good job. N none of these writers have – or none of these artists, rather, have such disparate styles that they really stand out as different from one another. So it flows pretty well. Brandon Peterson's the one that probably is the most different. He just has a very distinctive look, especially because he – a lot of times outlines his characters in white or some other kind of color um, that makes them stand out. And his art is the one that does stand out a little bit. And it did pull me out of the story just for a moment. Uh, but overall, I thought the art was, was really, really strong. Uh, and I'll let you talk about the story first before I give my thoughts. what do you think of this? Uh, I, 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 like I said, I've been enjoying this from the beginning. Uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson did not disappoint me on this. This uh, w one of the things that uh, I thought he did really well here is is that Superman, in winning the day here, he wins the day not because he gets his superpowers back. He wins the day because of who he is. He wins the day because of his because of his moral center, and he he, he really did inspire the Phaeolosians and the other slaves slave people, the people that were enslaved on War World, he inspired them through his actions. And I would remind people who have been reading this that at the very beginning of the series, you know, Mongol was known as he, he with the chains and you, you would, you gained honor on War World if you had more chains and the longer your, the more chain links you had, that meant the more people you killed. And so, and, uh, and so that was a sort of source of honor. And, but by the end of this, it's the unbloodied sword that has the most honor because it used to be that if your sword had the most blood on it, that means you've killed the most, you've, 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 you know, it's just like the, the long chain, you've, you've got some honor, but Superman, Superman's present, you know, Superman gained notoriety on war world as somebody who would fight and refuse and not kill. And he had the unbloodied sword. And it's that sort of symbolism that, that permeated the story as it went through while at the same time, from beginning to this final chapter, we have, we have a lot of this of Superman in the background, looking in the, in the, in the, in the caverns of, of war world finding uh, remnants in the history of the Genesis fragment. We've got Midnighter and uh, we've got uh, uh, John Henry and Natasha Irons looking for a way to reignite the, 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 uh, the engines on War World in order to reignite the sun, to create a white sun, to power up the Phaeolosians. And meanwhile, we've got character-driven moments. We've got the orphan who wants to link back to uh, his, uh, I guess, ultimately his glorified dog sidekick, which he does. We've got, we've got uh, Leah being resurrected, wanting to, uh, you know, uh, we got the, uh, we've got, Midnighter and Apollo. Midnighter looking for Apollo. Apollo's under the control of, uh, I guess, nanites in his system. We've got 
We've got Superman trying to protect the lives of children. We've got some deep, we got some moments here where Superman is confronted by, by Mongol and Mongol literally has two children in front of him that he's, he's threatening to kill uh, at the end. I mean, it's, it's the worst possible moment you, you can imagine, you know, how Superman is, how is Superman going to overcome that? And Mongol literally has, uh, you know, threatening the Superman, you know, give him the power of Alcum and, uh, or Algrim. And we, we've got betrayal. So Krillix, this person that's been helping Superman from the beginning has actually just been using Superman to ultimately use Superman as a weapon against Mongol. Krillix ends up killing Mongol. Uh, all with Krillix's ultimate goal was to get the power of Algrim for himself and to inflict revenge, uh, for what, uh, for what the, the war zones did to the Phaeolosians all those centuries ago and for centuries of enslavement. And it's just, all these, mo- there's so many moving parts here. If you just sit back and sort of let it sink in and, and the art is fantastic. If there is one complaint and, you know, it's interesting. I think, uh, uh, I've heard different opinions on this. I, I really love the sort of painted style of, uh, Frederico. I, we, we butchered his name last time. What is it? Frederico. <laughs> the, the initial artist, uh, that did sort of the painted style. Anyways, yeah, God, I can't. Yeah, why, I can't believe we forgot it. Yeah, already. Uh, Enrico Federico or some Federico Ricci or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> Ricci, Federico yeah. Ricci. Yeah, uh, his yeah. art's fantastic. I, I actually probably maybe it would have been better if if we, if it had remained the same consistent artist throughout. But I have to say, I re- I really like this art. I kind of really like and beholden this more traditional style of art that took place in this issue, and. uh uh, th- this was action packed. It had action pass. It had moments of tragedy, betrayal, loss of life. Uh, when that, when, when, when Mongol is killed by Krillix, I mean, I, I didn't see that coming. When uh, Mongol snaps the neck of a young boy, I didn't see that coming. Superman's reaction, but his refusal to lose lethal force, and ultimately Superman. Turning the tide by instead of Superman taking the power of Olgrim in himself, he uses it to save the life of the young boy that Mongol killed. And it's just, it's, you know, because Superman will find a way. He doesn't need the power of Olgrim to defeat Mongol. He, he'll find another way, and he does. And that's Superman. He finds a way. And again, PKJ, he gets it. And I think I think it really worked here. I love the ending. It had a happy ending, and uh, and then at the end, I mean, let's face it, Superman and Lois to end with Superman flying back to Earth, swooping into the love of his life, kissing Lois Lane in the sky with the sunset behind him. This is the happy ending that you want in a Superman comic. So that final page embodies the hope, and the next issue promises to be Kal El returns. So, I, I think. I think this is a nice, uh, nice icing on the cake that uh, to to a series that has. It may have felt like it dragged on it, at parts a little bit, but all the pieces I think have come together reasonably well. And I think you know, I for one, I'm definitely going to be looking forward to the hard co- inevitable hardcover of this series. I hope it's an oversized hardcover because I would love to. I would love to see that in an oversized hardcover with all the gorgeous art. So, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely won't be buying the hardcover of this. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. Um, that being said, it is a satisfying conclusion. Um, I, I mean, my favorite page is is the last page as well. Uh, you mentioned it, Superman kissing Lois up in the sky. Um, 
and coincidentally, I, I just got a, <clears throat> I just got an uh, advertisement or email or something from Sideshow Collectibles last Friday with this amazing new um, Superman statue. And I've been wanting to order the Brainiac one for quite a while. It's like six hundred dollars, and it's huge. It's like two feet tall, and it's huge, and it's awesome. Um, and I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. And now, even though this one is more expensive, uh, I'm thinking that maybe I should be saving up for this Superman and Lois statue. I just sent it to you on Twitter, Rocky. If you want to share the, you can open it up while I'm talking and share the picture okay. with everybody. Cause it's so it's so amazing. <laughs> but getting back to the story, yeah, I mean, the takeaway for me, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you, you mentioned that yeah, Superman wins the day not because he gets his powers back, but because of who he is. Which uh, the last issue of Action Comics, and then this this um, war world apocalypse special uh, really kind of leaned into that. Like, wouldn't you want that statue? That's like over <laughs> two feet tall. It's almost yeah. three feet tall. It's, it's gorgeous. Like 30 inches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not cheap, but yeah. yeah, that's just, I mean, that's everything that Superman is. And this is very similar to the last scene that we get uh, in the book. But uh, anyway, getting back to the, the story. Yeah. Uh, Philip Kenny Johnson really leaned into to Superman. I, I mentioned Previously, when I talked about the last issue, how a lot of the middle part of the story, we barely – I think there were issues where Superman didn't even show up, just had other people like talking about him. So you know, when you talk about it being a Superman story, I, I want a Superman story, and the last few issues have felt like you know a Superman story, not because he gets his powers back, but because we're focusing on him, and he, he just felt more like himself to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so him stabbing the kid, nonwithstanding, because yeah, Superman does stab the kid with the um, fire of, of Olgrim here um, to to bring him back to life. I mean, there's there's no better moment, right? This is the the artifact that supposedly is going to defeat Mongol and Superman. How can you waste it on this kid? And that's what Krillix doesn't understand. So in a way, Krillix, you know, he he gets the powers the same as Superman, along with a lot of the other um, theologians here. Once the uh, the big reactors change from uh, emitting red sun radiation to yellow or white. Um, it, he's very much a foil, an opposite uh, version of, of who Superman is. And we see that, and there's some seeds planted there I'll talk about in, in a second. But, you know, when Krillix says that, Mongol sees that, uh, they can't believe that Superman would would waste this weapon, waste this chance to defeat Mongol Um and Superman says, nah, I'm going to use it to bring this kid back to life. We'll find a way to win because that's who Superman is. He's not unlike Batman in that way, right? Like Batman wins because he always plans better than everybody else um, and outsmarts people. Superman wins because he's just never willing to give up. He's always going to fight for what's right as long as there's a, a breath in his body. So, you know, that's the core of who Superman is. And that's what Philip Kennedy Johnson really focuses on here. So in that way, it really works. Um, now this has been a long, complicated story. Uh, and yeah, the pacing hasn't always been there. Rocky even mentioned maybe could have ended a little bit sooner. I mentioned some issues where Superman didn't even show up and I, we can go all the way back to future state for that, right? The first Philip Kennedy Johnson written Superman issues where we had this, this, uh, the first time we saw Superman in the gladiatorial armor fighting, he, he wasn't even talking. We were just seeing him fighting while other people narrated. Um, and I, yeah, I just wasn't sure about the feel of it. And I'm still not sure about the feel of it, but what I am sure is that all along, no matter what, whether I've really resonated with the story or not, Philip Kennedy Johnson 
understands who Superman is and has always treated the character with a lot of care. Also, the rest of the Superman family, the way he writes Lois, the way he, the way he writes John, uh, it's clear that he really cares about these characters. So, and I'm not saying that Brian Michael Bendis doesn't care about the characters, but I, you know, when we read that first Man of Steel six issue miniseries from Brian Michael Bendis, and he sent Lois and John off world, all I could think, like the immediate feeling I got was Bendis wants to write solo Superman. He doesn't want to deal with Superman being married, having a wife, having a kid. That's how it felt to me. And even when he brought him back, obviously there were other issues with, in my mind, Lois betraying Clark by telling her father without even speaking to Clark uh, about Clark and Superman being the same person. Uh, Obviously the whole John being aged up (laughs) controversy. So I I never have said or felt like Bendis cared about the characters, at least not in the way that Philip Kennedy Johnson does. So uh, I did notice he mentioned on um, on social media recently responded to a post that I that I posted about how some of the big Lois and Superman uh, fanatics have been complaining that he's been gone so long and they really want you know that story of Superman with Lois and that interaction. Yeah. I don't really feel like it's been that long. I get it, like in terms of publishing, uh, you know, length. It's been over well over a year that the story's been going on. But in terms like in continuity, it feels like maybe a few weeks to a few months at most. And I, I have faith that Philip Kennedy Johnson is going to tell a good story uh, and he's going to treat Lois and Clark's relationship with more respect than Brian Michael Bendis. And it's totally a matter of perspective, right? Because I, I, if you haven't listened to it, I talked to Brian, had him on the show. We've talked about it at length the way I see like the relationship I have with my wife is very different than the relationship Brian Michael Bendis has with his wife. Doesn't mean one relationship's better than the other. It's just different. And obviously that's going to inform the way we see Lois and Clark's relationship. Uh, that being said, I can't wait to read Lois and Clark stories from Philip Kennedy Johnson because he's a wonderful storyteller. He's a wonderful w- world builder. And even if this story wasn't maybe my, my favorite Superman story, uh, in the end, it does end up feeling like a Superman story, very much so, with w- the way it all came together. So, while I might not be looking to get it in hardcover and reread it, um, I it, it I think it was successful in the, in the long run. It's just probably not one that I'm going to go back and and reread. But I imagine, and I said this last time when I talked about the last issue of Action Comics that we reviewed, there's probably some kid out there, 13 or 14, who's read this, who's gonna feel about this the way I feel about the exile saga. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, I, I 100% could, could see that. So kudos to everybody involved. Uh, I think the art was spectacular. There's some great covers, uh, but I'm glad it's over. I'm ready for Clark to be back in his normal Superman costume back <laughs> on Earth with Lois. And uh, the other part of this I'm curious to see. So does this mean John goes back to being Superboy? Does he... Like what's going to happen? I, I yeah. what I would love to have, I'd love to have John leave Earth, and have Tom Taylor take him around the galaxy, telling stories of him out there on his own, uh, really earning the the moniker of Superman. And I'm never a fan of having two characters of the same name. I've talked about this, whether it's Miles Morales and Peter Parker, yeah. whether it's Jace Fox and Bruce Wayne, whether it's John Kent and Clark Kent. Give him a different name, man. I don't like having two superheroes with exactly the same name. Doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, 
yeah, I'm glad this is over. I think Philip Kennedy Johnson stuck the landing. And uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see what people think of it in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, we also uh, have uh, coming out this week uh, is uh, the first three issues of Dark Crisis with the additional uh, logo on it. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths issues one through three, three are resolicited. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious if they'll ever release that cover that they gave out at, at San Diego Comic-Con. I kind of feel like they will. You know, they said it was exclusive just for, for people who were at Comic-Con, but I feel like that's never actually the case, and it'll eventually make its way um, to, to to everybody. That being said, um, I think you can I mean, you can find it on eBay. for, for it, it was selling for like 20 bucks. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's I don't know if it still is. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to, uh, well, actually, yeah. Anything else you want to plug while I talk about the collections that are out coming out this week? Uh, well, I do, uh, well, you and I probably, we're probably going to be reviewing some more, uh, Scott Snyder, uh, independent work from his, uh, uh, was a best jacket press and, yep. uh, the coming out later on this week. And every, uh, every Sunday I do some, uh, further indie reviews with, uh, Jim at Weird Science DC. And followed the next day, uh, DC reviews with you. So um, this week should be should be good with uh, further reviews with you for some Scott Snyder titles. Uh, the Canary, second issue of the Can- Canary, second issue of I think Wildfire, and uh, I think there's even the Dudley, what is it, Dudley Doodle, Dudley Dotson, Dudley Dotson, Dudley Dotson. Forever, forever yeah, machine, so look, looking forward to that. So yeah, I did see you and Jim. I haven't watched it yet um but i did see that you guys reviewed on your most recent one the, the minor threats from Patton oswald and jordan blum that's right yeah it's a great yeah. I, I i we loved it we we both loved it we both gave it a pretty high grade nine and a half it's a lot of fun Patton oswald he's i love him as a comedian and, and uh he's he's surprisingly good as a comic writer i was i'm, I'm yeah, impressed he's a, he's a huge comic fan and i talked about this when i reviewed it last week as well uh here's the thing about it like uh the so Jordan Blum and, and Patton Oswalt are two of the, the writers and producers behind the MODOK series on mm-hmm. Disney Plus, the animated series, which was really funny. I'm a fan of Patton Oswalt as well. I've gone to see him do stand-up. Um, and so I sort of expected this Minor Threats to be funny. And while there's a, bits of dark humor in it, it, it really surprised me in how dark it was. Uh, and I, I loved it. And the potential for the story going forward is really, really good. So uh, definitely check that out. All right. Uh, a few collections out this week. Uh, Batman 89 has a hardcover, and that's the recent series written by Sam Hamm, who's the screenwriter for the first Batman movie, with art by Joe Quinones. Harley Quinn, the animated series, the Eat, Bang, Kill tour, also has a hardcover. That's the six-issue series that Rocky was uh, talking about earlier from T. Franklin. The Joker Volume 2, that amazing Jim Gordon series that is entitled The Joker to Trick People, uh, which we absolutely loved, has its second volume out in hardcover. The Brightest Day, which was uh, the follow-up event to Darkest Night from Jeff Johns, has an omnibus that's out collecting the whole story. Um, And then there are a couple of the DC kind of young adult graphic novels out this week. Batman's Mystery Casebook, which I, I think it uh, it's a book where you can kind of solve, try to solve the crime along with Batman. Uh, and then there's also one called My Buddy Killer Croc, which I know nothing about other than it's a young adult 
graphic novel star- starring Killer Croc. So he I, he's not exactly kid friendly. So I'm not sure how that all works, but uh, I'm sure <laughs> it's uh, age appropriate. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this uh, episode. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We appreciate the support as always. Any last thoughts, Rocky? Uh, no, man. Just, uh, you know, uh, well, actually, what's your pick of the week? Tell me what your pick of the week is. Uh, you know, I think I got to go with uh, the Superman War World Apocalypse. All right on. Okay, yeah. I, I'm i going to go, you know what, I'm going to go the same thing too. I I, I did. I really liked uh, Nightmare Country, but Superman War of Apocalypse, I'll, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, and and the yeah, and the Flash was up there as well for consideration for me, um, but ultimately, just I don't know, par- partly maybe the relief of it being <laughs> over and seeing him holding Lois uh, really puts it uh, yeah. puts it over the finish line for me. So, uh, everybody, don't forget if you're listening to us audio only, head over to YouTube, do a search for Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom Exclamation Point. You can watch us do these DC spotlights and see our smiling faces, and we put up art from the books and all that every week. Uh, subscribe and leave comments and all that stuff. You guys know what to do. Conversely, if you check us out on YouTube all the time and you want to be sure you don't miss any of the uh, other comic source content, most of it audio only, just go to wherever you get your podcast to search for the comic source and subscribe. So uh, as always, we appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.